Welcome to Sunday Morning Live Fellowship. You are listening to our live Sunday morning service. Now turn with me, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. While you're finding our scripture, let me ask you this. Can you remember the anticipation and joy of Christmas morning? While opening Christmas presents, my sisters and I, and I, my mother birthed five girls. Some of y'all wonder why I don't have no friends. I don't need none. I got five sisters. (laughs) Me and my sisters, we would take turns opening our Christmas presents. As each gift was unwrapped, we would throw the wrapping paper everywhere. It would land all over the living room. Us girls were more concerned and focused on what new toy we got than thinking about where we put wrapping paper. We wanted to, ah, those toys back in the day. We wanted to pull the string on our new chatty Kathy Dow and hear her talk. We wanted to comb the hair on Barbie and Ken or push the top of the colorful metal spinning top or wind up that cloth and floppy jack-in-the-box or bounce the ball with the jumbo jacks or put those Lincoln logs together and don't forget Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head. (laughs) Remember the slinky thing that we had that would go back and forth? Ah, And the Tinker Toy Building Blocks. All the joys and smells of Christmas. It was loads of fun playing with all the new toys until our mother yelled from the kitchen, it's time to clean up that mess. Ah, man, there was wrapping paper everywhere. Begrudgingly, we would pick up the wrapping paper, pick up the broken Christmas ornaments, try to get some of the pine needles off the floor and finish getting all that shredded wrapping paper scattered throughout the living room. Cleaning up the mess was the least fun part of Christmas Day. Even if you've never experienced wrapping paper scattered all over the living room at Christmas, I'm sure you've experienced a mess. And I'm also sure some of those messes are far more messier than Christmas wrapping paper. As you're recounting the messiest experiences of your life, I'll let you in on a little secret. The messiest part of my life is me. And the messiest part of your life is you. Mm. Sin makes a huge mess in and all over our lives. But here's the good news. The first Christmas was messier than any of us could have ever imagined. 
But it was that mess that fixed our mess. Woo! Now let's turn to our scripture. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. Christ didn't have any sin. I'm going to add my word. Christ didn't have any mess. But God made him to be sin for us. So we can be made right with God because of what Christ has done for us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your son into the mess of humanity, fallen humanity that you created to complete the redemption story of love. You allow sin baked into the story of humanity so that redeeming love could clean us up. Mm. God, we pray for every prayer request that we named. Father, that you would bless their lives, their situations, and everyone within the sound of my voice. You know exactly what they need. You know better than we know what we need. Fix it, Lord. Bless them, Lord, and let them know it was you. Now, God, we pray for your servant. Oh, God, that you would anoint and ride and blow up every word that has been prepared. We thank you. This is our food. Your word is living bread. Your word is living water. Oh, taste and see. You are good. Blessed is the name of the Lord. We thank you and give you all the glory in the name of Jesus, in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 21a. Christ didn't have any sin, but God made him become sin for us. I would like to use for a topic this morning, have a merry, messy Christmas. Whoop. Have a merry, messy Christmas. Oftentimes we lump Little baby Jesus in with other cute and fun and sweet Christmas characters like Frosty the Snowman, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and every who down in Whoville. But when Jesus came to earth, it was anything but fun, cute, and sweet. It was messy. Christ was born into a messy time in history, a time of civil unrest under a vicious ruler, Herod the Great, who was so paranoid about losing his throne that he murdered anyone he felt was a threat. Herod's hit list included Two of his wives, three of his sons, his mother-in-law, his brother-in-law, his uncle, many prominent Jewish people in Judea. And two years after Jesus was born, all the baby boys under the age of two were murdered by Herod. Jesus was born into a 
messy place. Although Jesus was the king of kings, he wasn't born in a palace or to royalty. He was born in a lowly manger that smelled like a zoo. Mm. To a poor carpenter, an unwed mother, and a teen who was a teen mom. Jesus could have chosen to come at a better time in history, a more comfortable setting, or to a couple with better social status. Instead, he came into a mess so that ultimately he could rescue us from our mess. Beloved, life is messy. For some of us, that disturbs us. We don't know what to say, what to do, or how to engage, or how to fix the messes of this life. Many of us step into new community situations cautiously, hoping it will not be messy. We we want decent friends. We want a loving church with easy, comfortable, enjoyable conversations. But the reality is that every social or community setting Even Christ-centered community settings will have its share of messes. By design, community is messy. We, We are sinners and this world is broken. The main theme of the gospel story is that God's grace And love shine more even brighter in the messiness of our lives. Uh, We live in a fallen world. Sin, Sin has frustrated this world. And now creation is subjected to futility and in the bondage of decay. This makes our daily existence difficult and complicated. In other words, our stain-resistant carpet ends up not being so stain-resistant after all. That shiny new car with the fresh car smell is, well, just another car with mud on the interior floor and scratches on, and dents on the exterior. Our Daily schedule never seems to play out the way we planned, but on a more serious note, you might receive a life-changing diagnosis. Your loved one could experience tremendous suffering. A relative who was just with you yesterday is now gone. We all have experienced some of the realities of life in this messy fallen world. So, how should we talk about this mess? (laughs) First of all, we have to acknowledge the mess. Realize that our world is not neat and tidy with everything picture perfect. This world has and will have its problems. Now, some of us may try to hide the mess 
At times, we think that by not seeing the mess, the mess does not exist. Mm. We may even think by talking about the mess, by not, by not talking about the mess, the mess will evaporate. But that's like someone refusing to watch the news and then saying wars and poverty and evil does not exist. It's like the teenager who throws all their dirty clothes under the bed and then tells his mother they clean their room. In this life, there will be wars, poverty, death, murders, environmental and weather catastrophes. It is not hard to see that there is mess in the world. And the mess is not just in other people's lives. The mess of this world extends into each of our lives. In your life, there are some messes, things that are not quite right. There are some things that you have not completed, things we wish we had not done, relationships that are broken and need repairing. We have failed to love God and love others the way that we should. Sometimes we pretend that everything is okay when it's not. At times we go to extraordinary strengths to hide our faults, the things that we don't want others to know about. We throw a rug over the vomit of our own lives. Oh, but Yeah, we throw a vomit, we throw a rug over our vomit. But man, we love to magnify the mess in other people's lives. We will keep our mess in the closet while plucking that little splinter out of our brother and sister's eye. You see, beloved, we are human beings and we are wired to be critical. When we magnify the mess of others, either behind their backs or to their face, it is another attempt at hiding and or not facing our own mess, thinking this will make us appear as though we don't have any mess to deal with or that we are morally superior in some way than others. Let me say that again. When we magnify the mess of others, either behind their backs or to their face, it is another attempt at hiding and or not facing our own mess, thinking this will make us appear as though we don't have any mess to deal with and that we are morally superior in some way than others. So if we are wired to be critical or wired to magnify the faults in others, How do we change or exercise self-control to channel this tendency into proper growth, personal efforts, and not ruin other people's lives? Let's look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 and 4. 
Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? In other words, I'm a super hypercritical person. I see the specks everywhere. But how can you talk about the speck out of another person's eye when you got a log hanging out of your own eye? Jesus says in verse five, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So Jesus' answer to the question of how not to be hypercritical about the speck in your brother's eye, it's to be deeply aware of the log in your own. Now, I don't think that necessarily means that the very thing you spot in another person, which you think is a speck, is a log in you, but it does mean that I got to get enough of my that I got enough of my own mess to deal with before I can be quick to judge others regarding their mess. Another point to remember as we discuss how to talk about the issue the human tendency of being critical of other people's mess is never lose sight of what you of what I have been saved from or how much it cost and how much remaining mess is still in us. I know I'm right. Ephesians 4 and 32 says, be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you, forgiving as you have been forgiven carries an implication. And the implication is this, being ready to treat people way better than they deserve because we have been treated better than we deserve. All right. We've, we just come out of the Thanksgiving holiday and oh, did I have a good time. Ephesians 5 and 20, and this was our scripture last week, fill your heart and mouth with thanksgiving for everything. Give thanks always and for everything. In other words, be amazingly overflowing with thanksgiving. Be radically grateful. Practice Waking up in the morning with thanksgiving, walking through the day with thanksgiving, going to bed at night with thanksgiving, because a thankful spirit pushes out a critical spirit. Here's another point. Meditate on what love is and how essential love is to the Christian. What does it mean? to love people. All of us, all of us need to go to the Bible and memorize 1 Corinthians. How much, Pastor? The whole chapter. 1 Corinthians 13. Put 
those verses on your refrigerator. Put those verses on your medicine cabinet. Get those verses laminated and pull them in, put them in your billfold. Here's what it says. Love, a portion of what it says. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. You need to say it, say it, say it. Pray it, pray it, pray it until it's you and God, the word will heal you of your hypercritical spirit. If you have a hypercritical spirit, no one wants to be around you. Ask yourself this question. By being critical, what good are you doing for yourself or anyone else when you talk about or point out the mess in everyone else's life? Ask ask yourself, what changes? What changes when we are critical? Much of our need to magnify the mess in another comes from the fact that our world has shrunk down to the tiny little situation where this molehill of a speck in a person's eye looks a hundred times bigger than it really is because we have made our world so small. We have shrunken our world so small that the speck in your brother's eye feels big. We have focused our lens so narrowly that we can't see the good that is all around us. So we must fill our mind and our heart and our mouth with praise. Because all spontaneous joy is the overflow of praise. This world rings with praise. Yeah, already. Lovers praise their mates. Readers praise their favorite author. Walkers praise the countryside. Athletes praise their favorite sport. Some people... Praise the weather. Some people praise their favorite drink or food or actor or car or horses or colleges or countries or historical personage or children or flowers or mountains or rare stamps or rare coins, rare bugs. Even some people praise politicians or scholars. This world is filled with praise. Find the good and leave the mess to our Lord. Battle your natural instincts of being critical of others and instead trust the love of him who knew no sin but became sin for us. I know it's not easy. Being critical is a habit. But as we depend on his grace and his help, God will bring hope and healing 
for your critical spirit. Listen to me, beloved. God always works the mess for good. Even the messiness of others. He has predestined redemption for every believer, even the broken ones, especially the broken ones. He will turn their mess into a message. In God's plan, he needs their voice. What they will have to say after God heals them and brings them out will have an anointing like none other. Beloved, we need the broken and hurting among us just as much as we need the spiritually mature. Many of our community of faith, other church members, have lost patience with those who are messy, toxic, or mentally ill. In the body of Christ, we need those who suffer from mental disabilities. We need those who suffer with physical infirmity or broken hearts as much as we need those who are doing well and flying high. The Bible says, let us bear one another's burdens. We must let God use the messiness to make us and others more like him. I know it won't be easy, but we still need each other. And the reminder that God does his brightest work in our messiness. When we walk with one another through the joys, the joys and trials, we'll better see the transforming power of the gospel. God does his best work in and through us when we seek to serve one another, especially when we don't have all the answers. We don't know what makes people behave in the way that they do. When I can't fix you, when there are no quick fixes, and I have no Christian cliches that are working to help you, and there is nothing left to do but point others in the direction of Jesus Christ and his cross. Just like Christ didn't avoid the mess of his time, he doesn't avoid the mess of sin in our lives either. He came as a baby so that he could grow and experience humanity in all of its fullness and mess. He knew what it was to have a family and friends and connection with God. But he also experienced loneliness and grief and disappointment and pain. Jesus walked through the human life so that when we face messiness, we can trust that our God knows exactly what we're feeling. But Jesus does something that we cannot do. He lives the human life perfectly. And despite 
of his flawless record. He was brutally killed on our behalf. In fact, the Bible tells us that he actually takes on our mess. He who knew no sin became sin for us. Jesus, the perfect one, made the exchange in all of history, a crazy exchange. He took our identity, a messy sinner, and gave us his identity, child of God, because this exchange, because of this exchange, we experience forgiveness, mercy, grace, joy, hope, and peace. Hallelujah. And as we grow in relationship with Jesus Christ, he helps us become more and more like him You don't just get a cleaned up mess. I need somebody to clean up all this mess. Oh, we get so much more with redemption. We get a brand new life. We become new creations in Christ Jesus. Yes, life on this side of eternity will still have its share of messes. But each time you find yourself in the midst of a mess, pause, pray, and remember that because of that first messy Christmas long ago, your life doesn't have to be messy anymore. Hallelujah. If you have not received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you must admit that my life is a mess without Christ. And if you are ready to acknowledge and receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I have done many things that don't please you. I have lived my life for myself only. I am sorry. I repent. I ask you to forgive me. I believe that you died on the cross for me to save me. You did what I could not do for myself. I come to you now and ask you to take control of my life. I give it to you from this day forward. Help me to live every day in a way that pleases you. If you prayed that simple prayer with me, please contact me at 231-349-1046 so that we can discuss with you the first steps of self.